going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Unreasonable Odds podcast. Quick break since the Super Bowl, Thursday, March 3rd. It is March, and that means Unreasonable Odds is back for the month of March Madness. Um, Steve Buchanan hibernating, waiting for baseball to maybe start at some point. Um, we'll we'll see. Uh, but for now, we we have a great month ahead of March Madness. So we're gonna get this podcast out today. Um Greg Peterson from VSIN. You may see some of his columns on DK Nation breaking down college hoops. He's going to join me to go over this weekend of college hoops, all the conference tournaments and whatnot. And then for the rest of the month, we're going to be coming at you most likely on Tuesdays. That's four more Tuesday podcasts to cover. Uh, after Selection Sunday, we'll cover the whole tournament before, before it starts. Um, next Tuesday, March 8th, we'll have have uh, a conference tournament one before before that, obviously, before Selection Sunday. And then each round through then, we'll cover the Elite Eight and uh, Sweet 16 preview. And of course, the Final Four preview uh, before that gets underway in New Orleans. So it is a March Madness month for unreasonable odds. We will have a great guest or guests for you every week. Um, and hopefully, uh, hopefully make you guys some money uh, betting on DK Sportsbook this month. So Without further ado, let's get into this week, uh, and we'll be right back with Greg Peterson from VEASAN. All right, welcome back into Unreasonable Odds. As promised, if you're watching on YouTube, you see us in the two-man booth now. Greg Peterson, you can find him on Twitter at GUnit underscore 81. He's a host for VEASAN. Um, you got the Greg Peterson experience, betting the bracket, and the Coast to Coast Hoops podcast. Um, and if you're on DK Nation, you've noticed recently that uh, Greg's had some articles up previewing some college hoops games. Um, we'll get to those soon enough. Greg, thank you for joining Unreasonable Odds. Welcome in, man. Great to be on with you, Julian. Thank you. Um, so let's start right right here. I know we got I, I personally uh, am not going to have too much on on the Thursday, March 3rd and Friday, March 4th card. Um but you are a very unique better. You you have a side and a total on every game. You you take your numbers. You don't play favorites. Put more weight on anything. Whatever your numbers tell you on the side total, that's where you're going, and you're going uh, across the board, which I, I find fascinating. It, I I don't know how I could possibly manage doing that. So that means that you will have things um, things on the board here for for Thursday. And I know that you have a piece up on DK Nation if 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 you want to start there and just kind of preview what you wrote up for that. Absolutely. We went to the Big Ten for this Thursday, and I went with the under in Penn State versus Illinois. This was 134 when it was overnight. We've seen it move a little bit in quite a few markets, but I still like it. I wound up setting my total sub 130 in this one because take a look at Penn State, one of just the slowest teams in all of college basketball. On the road, 350th out of 358 D1 teams in terms of possessions per game. And both of these teams do a relatively solid job on the glass. John Rar, along Kofi Coburn, both give their respective teams about 10 plus rebounds per game. Coburn, obviously one of the most immovable objects in all of college basketball. has been absolutely amazing for this Illinois team. And Illinois plays much better defense at home rather than on the road. So that's something that I want to take a look at for this at Ben State. They have broken the 70-point plateau once in regulation here in the calendar year of 2022. So it has not been going well for them. So that obviously throws out their wild double overtime game that they wound up playing against Iowa. But take a look at both of these teams. Illinois, they do a relatively solid job. We'll be able to shoot the three. Penn State, relatively average here. But Penn State, 
when they wind up going on the road as well, they always just find themselves in a sale pace game because they wind up scoring right around eight to nine points fewer per 100 possessions rather than when they are at home. It's a Penn State team that has done a great job of, you know, get their tempo all season long. Illinois, got to figure, probably going to get the job done. I wound up signing personally with Penn State because I wound up getting a little bit too lofty as I wound up signing my line at 12. I've been seeing a lot of 12 and a half, even a couple 13s throughout the day. So wound up signing with Penn State on the side. But what I wound up giving out is the total, just with the way that Penn State has been playing their games all year long. I think that we're in for a little bit of a turtle race. As we record around 2.30 uh, p.m. on the East Coast on Thursday, that one sits at 12.5 on DK Sportsbook. Minus 115, though, juice to, to Penn State uh, on the dog there. Let me ask you this real quick before we look at a couple other games. Um, I know that you only bet game totals, I believe. You don't do any team totals. Correct. Um, I'm curious, number one, just quickly, what your, what your thought process is going into that. And number two, why isn't this, you know, with a slower paced team like Penn State, who you do lean towards on, on who you are on on the spread? So maybe that answers it. But why not look to just fade the slower paced team, I guess, on, on the team total? The reason why I wouldn't be looking to necessarily fade them is because they also do a good job of holding down the other team as well. Penn State has been a relatively solid defensive team. And the big reason why I just don't wind up diving into team totals in general is that you're going to notice it because I'm out here in Las Vegas. So I don't have as much access to a lot of these East Coast books, which do a terrific job of posting up a lot of team totals. You're typically not going to get a team total until the AM. And when it comes to what I wind up doing a lot with regards to my bets, a lot of them get winded up placed overnight. A lot of them are going to be on openers. And being able to pound openers, I think, is very key when it comes to college basketball betting. And it doesn't matter what market you're necessarily in. We see it with the NFL. We wind up seeing it with college basketball. list goes on and on. Whatever sport you're betting, typically a lot of the best numbers that you're going to find is the first numbers. Rather than wind up allowing something to wind up getting settled in for several hours, I'd rather be like, all right, it's 5 o'clock out west. I'm seeing a number that I like. Might as well take it right away because I'm pretty sure that it is going to move. And we also notice that if you're out there on the East Coast, when you wind up waking up, if you're someone that winds up having like a nine to five job, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, this is also some very prime time to be able to get some of those numbers as well. There you go. Makes sense. Um, all right. Talk about a few of the bigger games, um, you know, that betters are maybe more likely to be watching on this Thursday card before we move on to uh you know previewing the weekend maybe talking about some of these conference tournaments kansas I, I had that baylor spot circled for a while the bounce back spot the revenge spot obviously for baylor at home Sl awful start i got scared they came through they got it done um but i didn't see kansas necessarily going on the road and losing back-to-back -back road games to tcu as they did now we get a rare kind of home and home this is almost like more of an nba type of schedule two nights later you have Kansas hosting TCU um, for you revenge spot and you're laying the big number with Kansas or because of that, is it too many taking the points with TCU? I think we're starting to get up a little bit too lofty overnight. I would have been a little bit more inclined to be able to bet Kansas because you were seeing this more around 10 and a half to 11. I want to saying my number at an 11 and a half right now. I'm seeing pretty much 12 across the board and one of those things where it's just gotten up a little bit too high because TCU is not necessarily an offensive juggernaut. They shoot below 70% of the free throw line. They shoot only about 30 and a half percent from three, but TCU does one thing very, very well. They hit the offensive glass. 
They're in the top five in all of college basketball and being able to get a second chance on their missed shots. So though they miss a lot of shots, they do a good job of being able to give themselves extra opportunities. Now, what I think we're going to see in this game as well is probably see a little bit more scoring. You've got a Kansas team that ranks in the top 20 with regards points scored on a per possession basis. O'Shea Obaji is someone that has been one of the better scorers in all of college basketball, giving you 20 points per contest. Guy that's able to shoot from three-point range right in the pocket about 40%. So I did wind up settling on my total at a 143 and a half. Overnight, I would have been able to make a little bit more of a case for Kansas. It is a bounce back spot. It is out there in the fog. But I've also been very impressed by what I've seen out of the CCU team. They are now a top 50 team with regards points a lot on a per possession basis. And Kansas ranks a little bit closer to 80th. Kansas should be able to have a little bit of a leg up on the glass because you've got Jalen Wilson, David McCormick combining for about 14 and a half rebounds per game. But I wanted settling in on my line at 11 and a half. So here at 12, seeing that pretty much cross board, won't take the points with TCU. All right, let's uh, let's look in the Big Ten here, where we have one of those classic spots. You have Michigan, the unranked team at home, now a growing favorite, hosting the ranked team in Iowa. These are kind of always the, or not always, but seem to be some of the the pros versus Joe's spots where you see the number next to the team and you got to take the points. Um, Iowa going on the road here, though, that's now sitting. Two and a half on DK Sportsbook. It was two. Um, you're getting the minus 105 if you're laying the two and a half with Michigan, minus 135 on the money line, total set at 156. Uh, in terms of a side, Greg, where are you going in Michigan, Iowa? I'm going to bypass points and I'm going to go with the money line here with Iowa. Typically, I am wow. one of those people that I like to, in a lot of spots, take the home team, but with Michigan, they're a unique team right now because, well, they don't have their coach, Juwan Howard, out there. Now, Phil Martelli, he is not chopped over by any stretch of the imagination. Coach for over 20 years at St. Joe's. Guy knows what the heck he's doing. Honestly, from an X's and perspective, probably a little bit of an upgrade from Juwan Howard because he's got so much coaching experience. Wound up having that St. Joe's team that wound up having that undefeated regular season several years ago. So, guy knows what he's doing. But at the same time, Iowa wound up playing host of Michigan a few weeks ago. They wound up losing that game in which – Neither team could stop anyone that total wound up going north of 160. I think they're going to get a little bit more of a bottle-up game in this one. I do think that Iowa is going to be able to do a good job on this Michigan team because while Iowa, not necessarily the world's greatest defensive team outside the top 145 with regards to points a lot on a per possession basis, they do get takeaways. Eight and a half seals per contest. Got a guy in Jordan Bohannon. His game has traveled very well on the road. Shoots nearly 40% from three-point range. And then he defaulted to Keegan Murray in this spot as well. 23 points, eight boards, steal and a half, two blocks per contest. Hunter Dickinson has been rock solid for Michigan. But what I find intriguing about Michigan, they rank outside the top 200 with opponents' two-point field goal shooting percentage. They rank right around 190th with regards points allowed on a per-possession basis. So while Michigan has some good pieces, Caleb Houston at home shooting over four 45% for three, 12 and a half points per contest when he is in Ann Arbor. It is a spot in which I do think that Iowa going to be able to get their revenge. I think that they're going to be able to exploit a Michigan team that just quite honestly hasn't necessarily been that great on defense. And it's a Michigan team that they haven't done the fundamentals well. So I do think that Iowa is going to be able to turn their steals into offense. Do I am saying my total 152 and a half? I think after the first time around, Iowa has been able to learn some things about this Michigan offense to be able to shut them down. So I'm looking at the under and I'm looking at Iowa and a wrench spot on the money line. There you go. Money line on the road dog. Um, all right, let's stick in in the Big Ten. Uh, you want to talk about a roller coaster ride? Ohio State uh, goes to Illinois, gets the victory um, in a pretty wild game. Then they lose by 15 at Maryland. 
Then they lose at home to Nebraska, arguably one of the worst, maybe the worst loss in, in the conference, um, just off the top of my head this season. Now they're laying, like, they need a win. They're at home. They're laying six against Michigan State. We saw Michigan State upset Purdue on Saturday. Um, you know, I, again, I'm, I'm not going to have any, I don't know if I'm going to have anything on Thursday night, but this is an intriguing game to try and find a, a side. Uh, what do you got going on here, Greg? I want to make Ohio State a five-point favorites here at six. I want to take in the points with Michigan State. I just always default to Tom Izzo in March. It just doesn't matter what his team winds up looking like. They always wind up peaking in March. And what you've got with Michigan and State as well is two guys that rank in the top 10 with regards to three-point shooting percentage among all qualifying D1 player. That would be Ty Walker shooting right around 56% from three-point range. And then you've also had Malik Hall be able to do a solid job from distance as well, shooting right around 49% from three. It's a Michigan State team in which is really a situation which the hole is greater than the sum of its parts. They don't have a single guy that gives you more than 11 half points per game. That would be Gabe Brown. Does a solid job down low. You've been able to have Joey Hauser be able to play a little bit of better defense this year rather than in past years. But it's really a Michigan State team that has breadth of a star. Meanwhile, you've got an Ohio State team that we all know who their stars. EJ Liddell, 19 and a half points, seven boards, two and a half blocks. Shoots it well from three-point range. So he's been able to do a rock-solid job for this bunch. And then you take a look at Malachi Branham. He's been able to be a little bit of an ancillary piece for this Ohio State team. And plays well at home, but what I find to be interesting about Branham is that he gives you right around 12 points. He's about 40% from three-point range at home, which is solid. He's actually been significantly better on the road where he shoots nearly 50% from three and 16 points per game, so he's actually done worse in his home games thus far this year. Zed Key is also dealing with a little bit of an injury as well, so that's going to hurt this Ohio State team down low. I do think that Michigan State going to be able to hold in this game. I don't think that they're going to be able to get the outright win. I think that it is a little bit of a tough ask going into Columbus to be able to get the W. I do mind saying this a little at a 141. You've got a Ohio State team that plays rather slow, but they are outside the top 140 with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis. So I do think that you get a little bit of higher scoring game. I'm willing to take it over and I'm willing to take Michigan State in the spot. All right, there you go. College Hoops Encyclopedia. We're going to move on unless I'm going to give you the floor is yours. Anything else on, on Thursday? I know you you don't put any extra weight on your plays, but anything else that, that intrigues you that jumps out on the Thursday card? I'm very intrigued by the fact that we're seeing the Charlton State and Sam Houston State game wind up going way under. We've seen a big tempo shift in Charlton State. They were in the bottom 10 with regards to possessions per game out of conference. More of a mid-tempo team here in conference. And you got Sam Houston State currently finding themselves between a six and seven point favorite, depending on where you look. I would be very cautious with laying the points with Sam Houston State because they shoot sub 60% at the free line. So if you wind up getting into one of those situations that I could very well see it in this game. Tarleton State is down five, six, seven points with a minute left to go. You know what that means. March to the free throw line. They're hacking away like lumberjacks, trying to get into the game. And you have to rely upon a Sam Houston State team that is just absolutely awful at the free throw line to be able to make those free throws. So I look at Tarleton State. I see some value with taking between six and seven with them, depending on where you look. There you go. Um, all right. Small Friday card, um, although we'll have some of the smaller conference tournaments going on. Um, I'm a fellow Rhode Island Ram. We're not doing very well in the A-10 this year, but the game of the night, um, seemingly these these past few uh, Fridays, at least the ESPN games have been in the A-10. Um, a, team that, a team that I backed to win the regular season that returned all five starters, the Bonnies, uh, 
just wasn't their year. Maybe they, they claim COVID hit them, uh, you know, harder than any other team. And maybe it did. Um, but this is a team that opened up nationally ranked. Now they're going to have to win the eight ten tournament. If they want to, if they want to be dancing in, in March, um, Osuni, their big man out, they got worked by VCU in that last game. Now they're at home hosting Richmond on, on Friday night. Um, your thoughts here, does it, how much does Osuni matter? Do you like the Bonnies at home? Is it a play one way or another if he's in or out? I think that Richmond should be a favorite here, and I fully anticipate Richmond being an underdog. So this is most likely going to be right. a money line underdog play for me because you just mentioned with Oshun Oshuni being out full. Guy that gives you nearly three blocks, team's leader in rebounds with seven and a half rebounds for him, and St. Bonaventure cannot afford an injury because with Oshun Oshuni in the go. full, they were running a five-man rotation. Now yeah. they have to throw out their guys that have seen no minutes whatsoever all season long to be able to round out a five-man rotation. Now they do have some solid pieces, something like a Jalen Attaway. He's able to give you right around 16 points per contest. Kyle Lofton has been able to give you five assists per game. But I mean, with those two guys, I named off half the production of the team. Meanwhile, you've got Richmond, you've got Grant Golden, you've got Tyler Burton, a pair of guys with north of six foot eight size. They combined for about 31 points per contest. Golden at six foot ten. Gives you three assists per contest. Burton's able to shoot about 38% from three. And you've got the all-time leader in D1 steals. That would be Jacob Gilliard, averaging three steals per contest, six assists per game. Leads one of the most efficient charges in all of college basketball. Richmond turns the ball over just below 10 times per contest. That is very beneficial for them. Now, they don't necessarily have the deepest rotation ever. You're going to need to get a little bit more of something out of something like an Andre Gustafson, who's been able to give you right around four to five points per game. Nate Kale has not necessarily been the world's greatest team for this for this Richmond bunch. But once again, you're facing off against the St. Bonaventure team that had a five-man rotation. Their one main low-post player in that five-man rotation is going to be out of the fold. That spells doomsday for the Bonnies. Yeah, you're very right about them. They, they're they so top-heavy, and if you take one piece out of the equation, uh, we kind of saw how that looked against VCU. So no big man, I will be – that's the, the spot I have circled for Friday. No big man, I will be on Richmond, um, even on the road in that spot. Um, all right, last Saturday regular season card of uh, of the season. It's a big one, a lot of big spots. Let's get the, the big narrative out of the way first, and that will be Coach K's last game. At Cameron, of course, it's against Carolina. Um, looks like it's going to be what eight, nine, ten that you're going to have to lay if you want to if you want to back Duke in in this one. Before uh, before you even talk about what you're looking at in this game, for a bigger moment like this, you know, this is kind of a, a unique moment. Does any any part of that go go into your your handicapping at all? It does a little bit because. I believe that Coach K wound up inviting every single player that he coached in college to be able to be there for his last game. This is a very unprecedented moment, to say the least. This is not your normal handicap because, I mean, how many times do you have a coach that wound up coaching for over 30 years, led a team to multiple national titles, knowingly say, you know what, this is going to be my last year and this is going to be his last game in what is, in my opinion, still the biggest rivalry in all of college basketball, North Carolina versus Duke means a little bit more. I emphasize home teams a little bit more when it comes to this rivalry, just because it is that meaningful. You know that the fans are going to be out in droves in this game. It is going to be absolutely rocking out there in Cameron. So this is a unique little circumstance. I'm one of those people that every single game is its own living, breathing entity. And I take this one a little bit more with white gloves because it is a game that it's just 
unlike what you're going to be able to get with, say, like UConn versus DePaul on Saturday, where, I mean, it's going to be a nice spot for UConn, their last home game of the regular season, but it's nothing like Coach K coaching his last game in Cavendish or against North Carolina. It's an interesting spot because I, in some ways, you know, and I, I don't think you do first halves, but I'm tempted to go, you know, Duke comes out with that energy. I don't want to lay the big number for the game. Maybe I'll go Duke first half, but I can also talk myself into maybe a little bit tight of a start for Duke, um, you know, in that moment. So I can kind of see both sides. And second of all, like, first of all, I agree with you. You, you got to handicap each game differently. And this is a bad example, but I go back to like Kobe Bryant's last game and his point prop was set at like, they, they moved it up because it was his last game. It was set at like 23 and a half, 24 and a half. Kobe Bryant had 60 points in that game, but he's on the floor controlling that coach K isn't on the floor. So a little, a little bit different, but um, I, I guess we can, if you have, if you know where you're going to go in this game or know a number, that's going to be kind of your cut, your cutoff. Um, where, where are you looking there? I guess. My cutoff number here is going to be 11. I want to say Duke wow, is an okay. 11 point favorite because North Carolina, just they just haven't been able to guard a nosebleed. This is a North Carolina team that we saw the last time around when they wanted playing against Duke. They got worked on their home floor. They are not guarding the three-point arc whatsoever. A.J. Griffin for the Duke team, shooting right in the neighborhood about 50% from three-point range. Paulo Boncaro has really been able to find it recently. Wound up having that bad game against Virginia. Has been able to bounce back ever since then. You even had Trevor Keels be able to come along for the ride. Now, to North Carolina's credit, if you do wind up missing that shot, they do a good job of not allowing opponents to get second chances. Duke doesn't miss a lot of those shots, so they're one of the most efficient offenses in all of college basketball. Turning the ball over only about 10 and a half times per game. North Carolina, they themselves are able to go bobs away from three. Brady Manick has been able to give you double figures, has shot it well. They've been without Dawson Garcia for much of the season, but you still have a pair of guys, R.J. Davis, coupled with Caleb Love. They combine for seven assists. They do a good job of being able to shoot between 38 to 40% from three-point range themselves. So I do mind saying a little bit of higher total here, 154. Got a pair of teams that they are brisk. They're not necessarily rapid with regards to their tempo. You're going to find both of these teams right around 100th, a little bit lower with regards to North Carolina, more around 80th for them. But I do think that you're going to see lots of shots made in this game. And I just don't think that North Carolina is going to be able to provide the defensive resistance to be able to hold in this game. I could see this one getting a little bit out of control. So made Duke an 11-point favorite. All right, a team we've already talked about, the Kansas Jayhawks. Um, you know, bi- bigger number on on Thursday night, but uh, regardless of if you're on TCU or Kansas in that game, I think everybody has the Jayhawks bouncing back and getting through at home, which likely sets up a scenario. I believe if they win at home on Saturday against Texas, that would be the regular season um, Big Twelve title for them, if I'm not mistaken. Went to Texas in a near pick'em game and lost that one earlier in the season. So it's another uh, revenge spot at home, just like TCU uh, is for the Jayhawks. Where are you? I, I think we're going to be laying more points than people expect with Kansas. Um, but what, what's your gut feeling on this one? Right now, I'm going to have this be a little bit more of a range just because with Kansas playing tonight, you want to make sure that for one, nobody winds up getting injured because that would be a little bit tough. And if you wind up seeing something that you really don't like, because Remy Martin has returned in the last few games, if he winds up coming out there, he goes like, oh, 15 from the floor and winds up breaking every bone in his body, falling off the roller coaster after game. That's something that you don't want any part of. But with that said, right now, I'm probably going to be looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of six to seven that I'd be willing to lay. With Kansas, this is a Texas team that they do a very good job on defense. You got to feel like Chris Beard is 
going to be able to get these pieces figured out. I was talking about it a little bit earlier with Tom Izzo, the way that he always winds up getting his teams to peak in March. Chris Beard, as the season goes along, his teams get more and more well-rounded. Team that ranks in the top 15 with regards points allowed on a per-possession basis. But it's a Kansas team that they are going to be out for revenge. Like you mentioned, that first game that we wound up seeing in Austin was completely, utterly harebrained. And that Kansas had a lead with 90 seconds left to go. And then they just wound up peeing that game away. So that was not necessarily too terrific. I think that they're going to have that on the mind. I think that O'Shea Obaji is going to be by far the best guard in this game because you've got a Texas team that has been trying to mix and match with guys like Andrew, with guys like Marcus Carr. You've got Andrew, Andrew Jones, other guys out there, Courtney Ramey. So I do think that it's going to be a little bit tough for them. Andrew Jones, by the way. So I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a situation which Texas is going to be outgunned with the backcourt. I think that they could do a relatively decent job down low, but they've been without Trey Mitchell as well. And David McCormick, Jalen Wilson, ever since that last game, I feel like they've gotten better. So this is a spot in which I'm willing to lay between six and seven. I'll be setting my number a little bit more once we wind up seeing Kansas's game against TCU, just in case of injury. All right, another big one on Saturday. Um, this one I've had circled uh, since that Wisconsin-Purdue game. I'm going to be looking at Purdue first half hosting Indiana. We now – you thought – if you thought that uh, Purdue was in a bounce-back spot against Wisconsin coming off the loss to Michigan State, now you've got them off the Michigan State loss, off the Wisconsin loss, and in a revenge spot for losing a strange game in which they played awful and it came down to the wire at Indiana – earlier in the season. Purdue is at home hosting in-state rival uh, Indiana. I do not see them messing around in this game. You're going to be laying, you know, maybe close to double digits on on the full game, maybe seven, eight, nine um, would be my guess. I, I think that they're going to come out ready for this game. I'm going to be playing, unless we get see a crazy number, I'm going to be playing Purdue first half on um, on Saturday. What do you think about this one, Greg? I made this line 10 personally with Purdue. Wow. I do think okay. that they're going to be able to come out and pound an Indiana team that, quite frankly, I don't think is very good now, Purdue. Their big bugaboo is defense. They rank outside the top 150 with regards points allowed on a per-possession basis, but they still can rebound. You've got Zach Eady along Travion Williams, who have been able to combine for about 15 rebounds. Brain Williams has been a little bit more pedestrian recently, but I take a look at this Indiana team. Race Thompson, a couple of Trace Jackson Davis. They do a solid job down low. I have zero faith in their backcourt. Xavier Johnson has been able to give you 11 and a half points. Doesn't give you four. And assists, that's Greg, by the way, just to interrupt you for one second. Um, Finicky, is that his name? Who is the guard Finicky. for Indiana that came off the bench and made every shot in the game Indiana won the first time they played? You can bank on that not happening again if you're fading uh, Indiana's backcourt, if you want to say that. Oh, yeah, because Fennessy has been out full the last 10 or so games. So that makes it all the worst. Tavar Bates has been able to get a couple of quality minutes for Indiana. But you just take a look at that entire backcourt. Like Parker Stewart shoots 58% at the free throw line. They're just not any good with that regard. And Purdue at home, they're just a different animal than they are on the road. Number one team with regards to points scored on a per-possession basis when they are at home. Mackey Arena just always seems to provide this team with a little bit more of a boost. There are some teams that they've got very demonstrative home and road splits. Purdue is certainly one of them. I think that they're going to come out. They're going to be in a revenge spot. They're going to be at home. They're going to be facing off against an interstate rival as well. I think that this is a very good spot for Purdue. I think that they're going to be able to win the battle on the glass. I think that they're going to be able to win the battle on the backcourt. I think that they're going to hold down an Indiana team that they just aren't good enough offensively to be able to exploit Purdue. Purdue not great on defense, but Indiana also not great on offense. So I'm going to be willing to lay up to 
Jen, you're Purdue. We are aligned there, uh, certainly. One SEC game real quick before uh, before we just give a quick glimpse at the future and, and get out of here. Um, LSU, tough loss at Arkansas on Wednesday night. Maybe a game they should have won um, and let it go late to the home team. Some, I don't want to say questionable whistles, but some impactful late whistles, at least in that one. LSU hosts Alabama on uh, on Saturday afternoon. Alabama has been coming undone a little bit lately. They haven't been, they've been much better at home than they have been on the road, but, but lost that one um, to um, Texas A&M at home uh, gave up a terrible second half, a great second half for, for A&M LSU looked, looked pretty good to me in that game against Arkansas Um, hosting Alabama here. I, I have this spot circled to potentially go after LSU and just kind of fade an Alabama team that has, has, come undone a little bit what uh what are you looking at in this one greg yep i'm certainly going to be taking a look at lsu as well i wound up saying this summer more around a four and a half personally so until we get to five that is going to be my spot here with lsu now i will say this about alabama they actually shoot significantly better from three-point range on the road than they do at home it makes no sense but they shoot sub 30 percent from three-point range at home they shoot more like 35 35 and a half percent on the road which i mean don't ask me how, but I mean, Alabama, yeah. they always get the whistle whenever they are at home. But at the same time, it is an Alabama team that they've been able to travel relatively well. But with LSU, top five team in the country with the guards points allowed on a per possession basis. I like what you're able to get out of Terry Easton, a couple of Darius days. These guys combined for 29 points per contest. And Alabama, they really don't have a guy that gives you more than six half boards per game. And that's Keon Ellis, who's a little bit of a Swiss Army knife guy. Does a good job being able to give you a couple of assists, gives you a double figure amount of points. Okay, three-point shooter, but Alabama doesn't necessarily have those bigs. LSU certainly does. LSU does a great job of being able to get steals. Oh. Number one in the country with that regard as well. Alabama gets sloppy with it right around 13 and a half turnovers for contest. So I made LSU a four-and-a-half-point favorite. LSU pounded Arkansas on the glass. If you watched or just looked at the box score of that game, um, if, if the rebounding was even in that game, Arkansas wins by by 20. It was uh, It was – absolute domination by the LSU Tigers on the glass. I lied. I have one quick question for you on Saturday before we move on. Is Creighton going to be in a home dog against Seton Hall on Saturday afternoon? I have what a feeling so now? because you've got Ryan Nemard who's currently out the fold for Creighton. Creighton, a very yeah. good win against UConn, but you want to seeing them in that UConn game. Close as about a four-point underdog. Seton Hall, I think, is a little bit less than you got with this UConn much, but at the same time, I would anticipate this being – two and a half, three, and I'd probably be willing to lay it. I lean more towards Seton Hall being about what we wound up seeing with UConn, about a four, four and a half point favorite because Seton Hall is a team that's a little bit banged up themselves. They've been dealing with an injury to Bryce Aiken, but they do have Ike Obiag who's able to give you three blocks down low. And I do think that the injury to Nemart really going to catch up to a Creighton team that they were doing a very good job of getting lucky on a lot of those UConn threes a few nights ago. I don't think that that same magic is going to be there for them on Saturday. The Nemhard injury is definitely going to catch up with them. I don't know if I'm going to be able to resist a home dog in that spot, but yeah, the size of Seton Hall, if there's anything that keeps me off of it, like you mentioned, that'll be that. Um, all right. Anything, anything uh, just about, I don't know, a couple more minutes here, but anything left on whether it be Saturday or Sunday in, in the regular season of college hoops that uh, catches your eye, or even if it's not a bet, just a storyline that, that interests you down the stretch here. I think it's going to be interesting to see what we wind up getting on Saturday especially out there in the Pac-12 because you've got a lot of 
I shall say, mystery teams like the Washington State versus Oregon game. I think it's going to be an intriguing handicap because you've got an Oregon bunch that they have been one of the most inconsistent teams in all of college basketball and for Washington State. They're playing some relatively solid defense, but at the same time, offense has been lacking. We're going to be seeing the Pac-12 really in action tonight, so I'll be setting my numbers for this after we wind up getting what we wind up getting in this one because, well, let's call it what it is. Gauging these Pac-12 teams, you really have to do it night to night because you just don't know what you're going to be able to get out of them. But I do think that those Pac-12 teams are going to be very fascinating for Saturday. And then on top of that, you're going to have more conference tournament action. Conferences like the SOCON are working their way through. Arch Madness is going to be going down this weekend. Arch Madness seems to always provide some very wonky and very fun results. So I'm going to be taking a look at those for the weekend. All right, well, let's let's give a couple. Uh, you know, I, I have a couple of futures in the conference tournaments. We'll put it that way. I'll give I'll give them back out here. I've already put them out on Twitter, um, and I know you're you're not necessarily going to be betting those, but you can share some thoughts. And we'll start in the Pac-12 that you just that you just talked about. We don't have odds up, but I'm thinking it's going to be, um, and from some of the places I've seen, uh, roughly an Arizona versus the field type of. Uh, type of wager Arizona, maybe around even money. Um, UCLA will obviously be behind them. If you let, let's say I'm giving, I'm giving you a hundred bucks to bet the back pack 12, put it that way. You bet in Arizona or, or the field. And if you're betting the field, who do you lean towards? I guess. I would just default to the field just because you get a wide gamut of teams. And when it comes to this Arizona team, they are very solid. They've got a lot of great pieces, but I do think that the blueprint was found out a little bit on over the weekend on them because what Colorado wound up doing is they got yeah. Christian Coloco in fell trouble. He's a guy that gives this team nearly three blocks per contest. I mean, we talk all about Ben Mather. We talk about Kirk Risa, all these guys out there in the backcourt, they're solid, but You've got Coloco, who I feel like is really that heart and soul piece down low. And it's a big reason why Arizona's in the top 20 with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. Now we saw USC just get completely worked a couple of days ago. So I'm a little bit more out on them. But a team like a UCLA who wound up being able to knock them off the first time, second time around, they weren't able to get the job done. But it was a UCLA team that in that game, they were relatively banged up. They've got Miles Johnson, the transfer from Rutgers, who's been able to do a little bit of a better job down low for the team. Tiger Campbell is a very improved shooter from what we wound up seeing last year. Last year shot sub 30% for three-point range. This year, north of 40%. Still very efficient with the ball. UCLA, a top five team with regards to turnovers on a per-possession basis. I think that they could provide a lot of resistance to Arizona. Now, I think that Arizona should be a favorite against UCLA, and Arizona should be the favorite in the Pac-12. But at the same time, if you're giving me Arizona versus the entirety of the field i would much rather have the field all right let's go with another one that's going to be a heavy favorite versus the field and that would be the acc duke is about minus 120 on DraftKings sportsbook to win the acc this is one that i'm on i played duke even money um square sure but two things number one you look at the rest of that field the other fate the next highest teams on the border in like the plus 800 range you don't have those teams like a ucla that are kind of up there closer to an Arizona, North Carolina, Wake Forest, Notre Dame. These are the teams that you're seeing next in, in the odds. And number two, the Coach K narrative. I don't know. Are you going to get a couple more whistles so that Coach K can get his uh, his regular season and postseason ACC uh, win? I don't know. Maybe it won't be a thing, but I think that there is something to, to that narrative. I, I think that Duke, given the down year in the ACC, is going to come away with that one. 
Yep, I'm right there with you. I'd be willing to play Duke even at, like you said, about a minus 120-ish because when it comes to Duke, they're just by far the best team out there in this conference. You do have Miami who wanted being able to knock them off at Cameron Indoor. They do a solid job of being able to generate a couple seals, but at the same time, you take a look at this Duke team, Paul Boncaro and company should be able to just lay waste to the rest of the teams in the field. I would consider Wake Forest, honestly, probably be the second best team in the field, and they knock them off pretty handily when they wound up going on the road at home. They got a little bit more chase, but you may recall that in that game, Duke was up like 13. I think they might've gotten up to a 15 point lead before they wound up just cratering a little bit. Alondis Williams is very solid for Wake Forest, but he just doesn't match up very well with Trevor Keels in my opinion. So I take a look at this one. You really can't be taking much of a shot on teams like Syracuse who have been just absolutely awful this year. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of Notre Dame, but Notre Dame got clocked at home when they wound up playing against Duke. I think that it's really Duke and nobody else. I mean, Virginia Tech maybe offers you a little bit of value. They shoot it well from three, but they don't necessarily do a great job on defense. They don't have those big men to be able to match up with Duke. So I'm right there with you on the Blue Devils. I'm going to I'll put you on the spot here a little bit. So if you don't have an answer for either of these next two questions or three questions before we get out of here, that's fine. Who's a team that, ha- po- that, you know, has the biggest threat to just be an upset to win their conference tournament, do you think? When it comes to being able to win their conference tournament, I would go with some of the mid-teams out there in the Big Ten because the Big Ten, in my opinion, is wide open. Right now, Wisconsin's actually your top team with regards to overall and record. But- deep, and they're deep down there on the odds to actually win the conference tournament. I think they're around plus 800. Yeah, it's really unique what we've got with Wisconsin. I think that they have a good chance of being able to win it. And I really don't think that there should be any really sort of a big favorite when it comes to the Big Ten. I would have to imagine that Purdue is right now your favorite in that. And I yep. don't like what I'm seeing out of this defense. I mean, would it be far-fetched to see a team like a Michigan State be able to make a run? I don't think so. They haven't necessarily looked great. But I mean, even a team like an Iowa, do I think that they're going to make a deep run in the NCAA tournament? No, because of their defense. But this is a team that they could catch lightning in the bottle out here in the Big Ten tournament where they know a lot of these teams very well. They do generate a couple steals. So when it comes to being able to take a look at some plus money, I would say that just pick your flavor out there in the Big Ten because you're probably going to be able to find some good odds there. That's where I'd be taking a look. All right, there you go. I like it, and I agree. Um, this is this one's kind of tough to do before seeing the bracket, but I'll give you my answer. For me, Kentucky is the team that, if you want me to bet a team to to go to the Final Four or whatever, Kentucky is going to be that that team for me. They're around plus one seventy, plus one eighty on DraftKings Sportsbook. Maybe you just get better rollover by betting them money line in in the big tournament, but. Just, you know, for fun here, picking a team that you like to the Final Four, it's Kentucky for me. I think when they're healthy, they're arguably the best team in the country when they have all those guards and they have Oscar Chibwe in there. So that's a team that maybe like, you know, kind of regardless of what their path looks like, I think they have what it takes to get to the Final Four. I think if they play a Gonzaga, I would love to take some points with, uh, with Kentucky if they're a two-seed against a one-seed Gonzaga or if it's a Final Four matchup. Um, I just don't see a team that if it gets in their way that I won't be saying I, I like Kentucky here. Is there kind of a, let's call it a matchup-proof team that you think before the bracket even comes out, this is a team that I'm most confident can make a Final Four run? 
I would say, honestly, Kentucky is probably that for me because they do have that immovable object in Oscar Sheboy. The rebounding just does not go into a funk with this team. You've got to figure that Ty Ty Washington, a couple with Kellen Grady, all those guys out there in the backcourt are good to be good to go for the NCAA tournament. They've got a lot more three-point shooting than we've seen in the past with this team. And Kentucky has been able to back it up time and time again. You really don't see them getting blown out, even in their loss against Arkansas, where they wound up having Ty Ty Washington and Xavier Wheeler be greatly limited in that game. They were able to hold in there. So I would say if I'm looking at any team to be a little bit more bulletproof, if you're looking for, I guess you'd call it the least volatile stock, Kentucky is honestly a good look for that. I agree with you. All right. I'm glad that we are on the same same page there. You don't have to be different. Give a different answer just because I gave it. There we go. We're on the same page. That is Kentucky, the, the most matchup proof team in, in the country. Um, all right. Last last one. Who is this? Doesn't have to be the team to win it all. Just who do you think is the best best team in the country? Is it Kentucky? I think it's Gonzaga at this point. You just take okay. a look at what they're able to do: offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency, top five in all of college basketball. Got so many weapons on this team. Great three point shooting with guys like even a little bit of a forgotten man in Rozier Bolton. Andrew Nemard has been able to rein it in. And then you got Chet Holmgren along Drew Timmy down low. Just so unfair with Holmgren giving you three and a half blocks. Shoots over 40% from three point range. So I go with Gonzaga. I think that they are just the most dominant team in all of college basketball right now. I don't think that they should be as short on the odds board as they are, but I think that yeah. they're the best team in college basketball. That makes sense. All right. A plethora of college basketball information there from Greg Peterson. Um, you can find him on Twitter at GUnit underscore 81 um, over there at VSIN. And of course, if you are a fan of the DK Playbook, DK Nation, you can find his columns. Um, are those going to be are those going to be running through March Madness, Greg? Your columns on they DK? They absolutely are. Yes, sir. There we go. Keep reading them. And uh, good luck to all the listeners in March. Greg, thank you so much for joining us on the Unreasonable Odds podcast, man. Pleasure, Julian. Thank you. All right, for Julian Edlow, that is our Thursday, March 3rd edition of Unreasonable Odds. We'll be back on Tuesday, March 8th, to go over some conference tournaments. Uh-huh.